Marhaba, shalom, and welcome to Ropescast, the independent voice of the Middle East. I'm Ibrahim Abu Ahmad. And I'm Ksenia Svetlova. ROPES stands for the Regional Organization for Peace, Economics, and Security. We are a young organization that works to lay the groundwork for a post-conflict Middle East by connecting forward-thinking Israeli and Palestinian emerging leaders with like-minded peers across the region. We share a holistic vision for the Middle East, where everyone has more to win from conflict resolution and integration than to lose. If you are looking for more information on ROPES, please visit our website, ropes.org. Our very special guest for today is Einat Levy. Einat is an entrepreneur, a researcher, and a strategic consultant to public and private uh, and civic actors specializing in Morocco and its relations with Israel. Following the renewal of the ties between the two countries, Einat joined the founding team of the Israeli mission to Morocco on behalf of the Ministry of Foreign Affairs and led the economic and academic affairs. In this framework, she worked with to formulate Israel political and economic strategy in Morocco and assisted Israeli and Moroccan economic organizations and entrepreneurs to form collaborations. Einat's journey to Morocco started back in 2012 with a, uh, basically a sense of nostalgia and a wish to a uh, better understanding of her roots and what it means to be Moroccan. She was one of the first in Israel to lead delegations and study tours to Morocco around political, economic, and social issues. Since then, Morocco has become her present and a possible future. Einat is also a researcher at uh, the Mitvim Israel Institute for Regional Foreign Policy and a research fellow at the Forum for Regional Thinking. So, Ibrahim, our guest today lives in Morocco, and I know that you have been to Morocco before, but also after the Abrahamic Accords. First of all, what were your impressions? Did you think that everything was different after the Abrahamic Accords were concluded? And uh, how do you personally feel uh, in Morocco, being an Israeli, a Palestinian, uh, an Arab? Uh, what do you feel about this country? So, I think my personal experience going before and after the Accords The only real difference that I saw was uh, the issue of the visa, that I had to do a visa in 2017 in the airport in Rabat, and uh, excuse me, it's in Casablanca. You do it in the airport, and now you do it in uh, a consulate in Tel Aviv, and it's uh, it's a completely different experience in that sense. But Now you uh, can even do it online. Even online. Yes. And uh, yeah, it's just became such a different uh, reality in terms of how you go to Morocco. But in both experiences, I was with one time with Arabs, one time with Jewish groups. And you could see that the Moroccan population, even before the Abraham Accords, and of course after, were very understanding of complexity. They understood what it is to be an Arab citizen in Israel. I didn't need to explain it to a lot of people. They knew what I'm talking about. They knew our complexity. Uh, there's an understanding of what is Israel, what is uh, Zionism, what is uh, Judaism, and they differentiate everything. And I thought it was admirable. And I saw it even before the Abraham Accords and after. And I didn't see a change 
in their narrative, and it's in a good way. It's not like they're changed because of the accords. It's inherently, I felt that they were very understanding people of our complexity. But you also were in uh, Morocco, but you were in a much more special time <laughs> than mine. Yeah. You were in the World Cup. Uh, how was that? So this was my recent experience, and it was absolutely incredible being in Morocco during the Mundial uh, when uh, the football team did so well. I have to tell you, Bray, I'm really not a football person. Don't tell anyone. Uh, but, you know, it, it was really incredible to feel this national pride, the sense of joy. Uh, it was very peaceful. It was very joyous. Uh, and I'm very happy that I had this uh, uh, unique experience. But also the first time I visited Morocco, it was actually long, long before uh, the courts were concluded. It was back in uh, the winter of 2008. Uh, and uh, I can tell you that uh, when uh, I arrived, uh, actually it coincided, unfortunately, with another hostilities uh, with Gaza Strip. Uh, Gaza was bombarded and there were actually uh, a lot of protests uh, against uh, the war. Uh, but at the same time, I also felt that, well, there is a support for Palestinians, obviously, uh, and I expected nothing less, you know, because we know that Morocco chairs the Al-Quds Committee and all of that. But at the same time, I also felt uh, that they know how to differentiate uh, between the political situation and their relations with the Jewish community uh, and Israelis at large. You know, so this was something that is uh, uh, completely unique. You know, for uh, us, uh, especially in our field and what we're doing, and uh, you know, I've always looked at Morocco as like a beacon of hope in terms of uh, its actual potential that uh, hopefully we can see. Uh, Morocco potentially, at least on a personal level, I feel that Morocco could be a great moderator in the Israeli-Palestinian conflict. I cannot find another country that is accepted by both Israelis and Palestinians like the Moroccans do. What do you What do you think about that? Well, I think that uh, you know there is definitely a place for also other Arab countries that are you know doing already and uh, are putting a lot of efforts into the peace building and uh, solving the various conflicts that we experience here. It's also Egypt and Jordan. But as you rightfully said, uh, Morocco is in many senses very different. And uh, this is what we expect to discuss uh, with our guest today. And so without further ado, let's welcome our guest, Einat Levy. Hi, Einat. Hi, guys. Is it uh, warm in Morocco right now? Uh, right now I'm in Rabat, and uh, although many people uh, also in Israel, they think that Morocco is, uh, you know, just a desert and camel sometimes, but uh, the weather is actually pretty nice here. It's average of 25, 27 degrees in the summer, oh so I'm God. enjoying. Right, okay, so I want to leave uh, Tel Aviv and to, to try travel to your place right now, because here it's hot and humid, as you know. Yes, indeed. Okay, uh, so uh, Enata, I want to, to tell to ask you, you know, and uh, from your background, uh, we know that uh, you actually follow the state of relations between Israel and Morocco for a long time, uh, and for the last few years you live there. Um, it's very difficult always to summarize and to basically to make some conclusions. But now we are already three years after this uh, seminal uh, accords uh, that were concluded. How do you feel about what is happening? You know, so where are we today in the Israeli-Moroccan relations? Well, I think, um, first of all, it has been uh, like only three years, right? But uh, we felt like the progress was of 20 years of official ties of the relations. Because so many things happen in so many fields. 
Um, and in general, we can say that we, we've seen the relation evolve from uh, relations that were mostly civic and spontaneous for the last 20 years until December 2020 to more official uh, and, um, and more organized uh, kind of way. And we've seen a lot of uh, achievements. Uh, in these uh, last three years. For example, numerous agreements and MOUs were signed almost in any, every field, like the Economic Framework Agreement and the Agreement of uh, uh, Scientific Research and Innovation. And around 20 agreements were signed just in the academic field alone, which is uh, also a uniqueness of these relations. Ooh. And where do you see the challenges that we still face today? If those are the achievements, what are the complexity maybe that we're still facing right now? Just to add to that, that uh, the economic relations uh, were very uh, were very new to these two countries because we haven't had any economic relations before the official ties were renewed. But there was, is, few, there, were, there was some economic relations and not, uh, yes, like not direct, but uh, I personally saw it seem... Uh, Tanker in uh, in uh, Rabat uh, in two thousand eight. Yeah, you're right. There were some uh, some um, economic relations being done through third countries and not directly. But uh, without the official infrastructure for economic ties, it's impossible to fulfill the potential of these relations and also to bring uh, concrete value. Uh, to both uh, both uh, people and uh, and countries, so I think this this was an amazing uh, accomplishment uh, during uh, the last three years because we were able to lay down some infrastructure and to start uh, creating those connections. Um, and there were also numerous official visits, something we haven't seen before almost at all, uh, and it was thanks to the official ties, um, but mostly on the Israeli side, we have to say. I think around 15 ministers uh, from Israel visited Morocco in the last three years. Um, only Nasser Bourita, the Minister of Foreign Affairs of Morocco, visited Israel for the Negev summit. So it's not balanced, but it contributed a lot to the development of the relations between the teams, between the ministries, between the understanding of the different topics that are on stake. Uh, so in matters of achievement, I think uh, we've done a lot, but we still have a lot of uh, challenges. Um, so, for example, uh, the expectations are very high because of this uh, pace, this fast pace. And expectations can also be something which is uh, challenging because um, some Moroccans or other people can um, ask themselves, okay, we've had three years of relations, but what what have been actually put on the ground? So any agreement that we signed, we have the responsibility also to think how we can make it concrete. Uh, we don't really know Morocco. Uh, this is something which is um, which is a big challenge in my opinion, because Yes, Morocco is familiar uh, concept in uh, the Israeli society, uh, right? We have like one million Moroccan Jews living in Israel. But what do they really know about Morocco of today? We think about Morocco as a nostalgic concept about uh, what we heard from our grandparents or uh, if we are Moroccans, or we think about Morocco as a touristic destination. But in order to see those opportunities, uh, and to fulfill their uh, potential, we need to actually know what's going on in Morocco today, in the economic, in the political, in social issues. 
Um, and also vice versa. Like, what do the Moroccans know about Israel? Besides what they heard about uh, the conflict mm -hmm. uh, uh, in the media. So, you so this is... Two, a, yes. The two challenges that we're facing in terms of, uh, you know, having ministers coming to Israel who only had one, and in terms of... Uh, learning and understanding each other between Israelis and Moroccans. Uh, what other challenges would you highlight uh, that still exist today and hopefully we can uh, uh, overcome in the future? Yeah, so for, uh, as you mentioned in the beginning, well, we need to facilitate the visa process. I think the movement of people is a key factor uh, to promoting the relations between the countries. Uh, we have a major challenge, which is the continuation of the Israeli-Palestinian conflict as long as it continues, it uh, hinders the possibility to fulfill uh, the high potential of these specific relations. And I think um, if we speak about what is happening at the moment, like the current internal situation in Israel, and the sometimes even irresponsible uh, rhetoric and actions being taken by uh, the current government is not always sensitive to regional and to international affairs, and it's more uh, derived from internal issues within Israel. And I think sometimes um, it's not seen in a, in a good way, and it impacts our relations. Uh, so I think if we even look backwards in the 90s, we had six years of uh, official ties between Israel and Morocco. So this is the second chapter, but it was, uh, put it on hold in uh, in October 2000. And the reason was the outburst of the second intifada. So I personally have this in my mind always when I uh, when I um, active here in the in this field, I remind myself that it was temporary the last time. It did not last for long. So, and it was because of the continuation of the Israeli-Palestinian conflict. So this is something we have to uh, remember and think how to include uh, Palestinians within the, the reapproachment that we, we've seen in the region mm -hmm. between Israel and other countries. Um, and not so we know that uh, Morocco, although, you know, it doesn't border uh, our specific area of conflict, uh, Israel and Palestine, uh, but it actually always played a role. Uh, and there is also a religious meaning, the religious importance uh, of uh, uh, Moroccan involvement. You know, for example, one of the gates uh, to Al-Aqsa is called Bab al-Marariba, uh, the Moroccan gate. Uh, and therefore, you know, when you are talking about the possibility of leveraging the Moroccan role uh, in uh, finding keys to the solution uh, to the Israeli-Palestinian conflict, uh, it seems that Morocco indeed has a lot to give in diplomacy, uh, in its, uh, you know, religious uh, heritage uh, and, uh, you know, its traditional um involvement in uh, Palestinian affairs, there is the Al-Quds Committee and so on. Can you expand about it? Like, how do you see uh, Morocco being, if it does it also, does it want to be involved uh, more in uh, what's happening here? Because I think that Moroccans uh, sometimes tell me that uh, they have enough on the plate uh, with, uh, you know, conflicts with Algeria and economic challenges and so on. You know, is there a willingness uh, to be more active and involved uh, with uh, what is happening at our end. Yes, I think um, everything you've said is part of the national uh, identity of Morocco as the, the state it wants to be. 
And part of it is to be the mediator. And we've seen Morocco mediating in uh, the Mali conflict and uh, in the Libya conflict and also between Qatar and the Gulf. So all of these episodes are a recent episode. So it shows that uh, Morocco does want and can play uh, this kind of uh, role. Uh, it also has its uh, tradition uh, playing this role uh, along the history of the Israeli-Arab and Palestinian conflict. It was part of the negotiation between Israel and Egypt. It hosted one of the, the most famous uh, meetings, secret meetings between the sides uh, that took place uh, in Morocco. Um, it was involved in the Oslo process as well. As, and it was, uh, of course, uh, Hassan II, uh, one of the architects of the Moroccan nationality, but he was a real uh, great uh, diplomat in this aspect. Um, I think these days we have to think also what do the, the sides want, like the Israelis and the Palestinians and the political will on both sides to enter the process at this moment, because Morocco cannot play a mediator uh, without at least some initial uh, uh, ripeness of the current moment to start. So I think it's better to wait for um, a momentum that will lead to a success than um, maybe maybe jumping into something uh, just so Morocco can play a role that it wants to play. And uh, the momentum is uh, very important in this sense. Um, so Renat, uh, I guess a follow up to that would be my, question, and you mentioned the issue of knowing Morocco from the Israeli side. What would be your message, I guess, to all the Israeli initiatives that are going to Morocco? Because one thing that I'm seeing, and it's something that it's like uh, quite, uh, you know, uh, prominent in the Abraham Accords is basically to put the Palestinians on the side. There is that sense, that notion within Israel that uh, let's make great relations with Morocco and Morocco will have great relations with us and uh, without the Palestinian uh, as part of the equation. But uh, from what I see, that's not what the Moroccans want. So how how can we change that perspective in Israel towards the relations with Morocco and understanding what Morocco wants? You mean, uh, when you say what Morocco wants, do you mean that Morocco wants to see more involvement of Palestinian and the Palestinian issue within these initiatives? And, and not to, like, basically put the Palestinians on the side or that the relations with Israel are not uh, instead of relations with the Palestinian people, that these are uh, one topic and this is another one. And it's not one, it's not an either or situation. Yes. Okay. So I think we have to start by saying that the Palestinian issue lays in the heart of, let's say, most of the Moroccan people. It's a, uh, not something which is uh, that they can even uh, put on the side because it's uh, in their heart, in their mindset. Um, I think in the Moroccans would want to see a two-state solution of uh, Israel next to a Palestinian state. And those initiatives that you are talking about that we've seen for the last three years, um, they can begin, but in order for them to really uh, fulfill their potential, uh, eventually the Palestinian issue uh, should be addressed. And also, and this is something I, I've been hearing a lot from uh, my partners in Morocco, is that um, 
they prefer always to see the the diversity of the Israeli society and also the Israeli-Palestinian groups that are coming because it's not just about Israeli-Moroccan relations. Um, and sometimes I see it also, I see another metaphor in my mind, uh, which can also help help explaining maybe to the Palestinian side, these uh, bilateral relations that uh, maybe uh, can can be seen as uh, relations that put them on the side. I think, no, this is not the right approach. Um, Israeli-Moroccan relations are like a huge book, very, with lots of chapters and pages and uh, and within this book, there is one chapter that talks about uh, the relation between Morocco, Israel, and the Palestinians. Uh, but the big book is uh, has chapters of the Jewish-Muslim relations also uh, along 2,000 years and, uh, and the continuation of it. So at the end of the day, these relations between Israel and Morocco, they also stand on itself. And they also offer some remedy to two chapters of two people that were splitted because of politics, but they have cultural, they have joint identity and belonging. And I'm talking about specifically the Moroccan Jews that live in Israel, but the Moroccan culture is already integral part of the Moroccan culture, of the Israeli culture. So it's not really separated. And, uh, and the Palestinian issue is super important. It's important because all the reason we already mentioned, but uh, but it's not the whole book. And we will not throw away the whole book uh, just until this chapter is uh, solved. We have to find a way not to marginalize any group and, um, and to make all of this work together. So this is my uh, kind of agenda of, uh, and, and I, I have to say, I feel it personally also, because I'm uh, my grandparents came from meekness. Like I cannot wait until the Israeli-Palestinian uh, conflict will be solved until I can uh, get, uh, you know, in touch with uh, my Moroccanness. Like it has to go together, this is what I'm saying. So a small disclaimer for our listeners, um, you and uh, I am in we go uh, way back. Actually, we worked together in the Twim Institute. And at the first time we met uh, at the Knesset uh, during the uh, gathering of the lobby for the protection of the heritage of the uh, uh, Jews from Arab and Muslim countries that I, I initiated at the time at the Knesset. And you spoke at this event. So uh, at the time, you know, and it was in 2016, um, could you imagine that in a few years you will be living in Morocco uh, and not in Israel? I mean, you know, I know that uh, you, know, you are from Moroccan origin and obviously um, the Moroccan Jews always felt a special connection. Uh, they felt that, uh, you know, it's their home away from home in a way. But still, I think that uh, this is something that is, uh, first of all, quite a bold move. Uh, and uh, it's unprecedented. Uh, it was unheard of just, you know, a few years ago. Uh, how does it feel uh, to be a, a Moroccan Jew, Israeli in Morocco, uh, to live in an Arab state? What kind of response do you get? Wow, I don't know where to, where to begin from because, uh, <laughs> <laughs> first of all, I think you were the only one that could uh, unite all uh, the communities of the Arab and the Muslim uh, Jews <laughs> in Israel because they needed someone not from these communities and uh, and it was an amazing event. I remember it until this very day. Um, I, th <laughs> <laughs> I think uh, 
every day that I wake up, I can't imagine uh, the fact and I can't accept fully the fact that I actually live in Morocco and I ask myself every day, is this for good? Am I here for a few months, for a few years? Uh, and so, and most of the time, I don't know the answer to this question. And uh, going back to when I lived in Israel two and a half years ago, um, when someone used to ask me, why don't you go to Morocco? Because uh, they knew that I was very active in this field. And I always told them that, no, my center is in Israel and I go back and forth between uh, Israel and Morocco and it's, that's good. And I call it the journey of longing. We live in a, I, I was living in Israel, but I was longing for Morocco because something was left in Morocco that is missing in my personal life and is missing also in the Israeli society and in the region. And um, and this was the, the kind of uh, journey, but now, since uh, I've moved to Morocco and the the step was taken not fully because uh, I decided one day to move, but the two countries signed uh, the agreement and I received an offer from the Ministry of Foreign Affairs of Israel to join the foundation team um, in Rabat, of the Israeli mission in Rabat. And I couldn't say no, this is the truth. <laughs> and then I moved there and I remember the moment that that I... Um, the first apartment that I signed the list on, the list on, um, I went to the Mukata, like the center where you legislate uh, the papers. And I, I specifically wanted to mention, and I did in the agreement that I'm working in the Israeli mission in Rabat. So to see the reaction of the people and uh, and the reaction were so happy. And these were the, the regular people that work as uh, clerks in uh, the Mukata, not the, uh, you know, uh, no, no one was making, uh, uh, you know, uh, something which is fake. It was totally real. And um, and I think what is happening now, how I feel is that uh, I actually leave this longing. Instead of longing, I don't have this longing anymore. And I'm uh, focusing on the actual action. So instead of preserving the Jewish heritage of Morocco, I create new bridges that will uh, ensure the, this uh, Moroccanness will be part of the Israeli society. So, and and vice versa. And also, there is um, a great value, and I feel it for me to be an Israeli living in Morocco today. Uh, the kind of engagement that I have with the, the Moroccan local people. Um, How is that, by it, the way? The engagement. What do like you know the average person on the street? You go to a store. Where are you from? I'm from Israel. What's the responses are like? Uh, <laughs> 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 I, I think the Moroccan the Moroccans are very open to oh. most uh, nations in the world and also to Israelis. They have the ability to be to have this complexity. Yes, we are for and we love the Palestinians, but we also have the connection with the Israelis, and it goes along uh, most of the time. Um, and for me, just a way to to live what I was longing for. Like uh, the number of Jews are is reducing in Morocco. We have to remember this, and um, and to be an Israeli Jew living in Morocco today is like proving that it is possible and keeping some kind of a flame uh, that this complexity should remain in our region and in this country 
Uh, and I have to say that I enjoy the life in, in Morocco very much. Um, it's uh, more than my expectation. So, so I'm not, not uh, you, know, you know, following, following up what we just uh, said. said there, there is, is a, a rumor, rumor going around, around I've heard of, that there is a legislation, legislation going on in Morocco to give back, back Moroccan, Moroccan citizenship, citizenship to Moroccan, Moroccan Jews. Jews. Is, is that, that a, a thing? thing? Is, is that, that tangible? tangible? Is, is that, that being discussed? Um, I think it's not a rumor because the the legislation in Morocco allows uh, any Moroccan who left Morocco and the next generations up to four generation uh, forward to actually claim uh, citizenship um, uh, for Morocco. So it's uh, totally possible for all the Moroccan Jews, for example, that left uh, Morocco in the 50s, in the 60s and, uh, and uh, before. And there is, a, I don't know if you know, but there is a special quote of King Hassan II that when the Jews left Morocco, you know, it was a crucial time in history. It could have been a very negative time, like the separation. But uh, King Hassan II, he was a visionary man. And he said that when a Jew departs Morocco, we don't lose a citizen, but we gain an ambassador. And this created this kind of... Um, sense of belonging between Morocco and the Jews that live in Israel. So I think it's totally possible that this is the, um, just the fulfillment of this uh, visionary approach. Um, and maybe another interesting fact is that uh, Israel uh, is not just a regular uh, diaspora of Morocco. It's the second largest diaspora of Morocco in the world after France. So for example, in 2016, when the Moroccan parliament was having these discussions, whether the Moroccan diasporas should vote, should have the right of uh, the voting right for the parliament, they were talking actually about the, the Moroccan Jews living in Israel. Are they gonna vote or, or what's gonna happen? And this was part of the discussion. Wow. Uh, in Israel, we, not, we did not hear about this. Like the media did not cover anything, but it's super interesting uh, issue in my opinion. Let's start with the, with the, maybe the Amazir issue. I think it's uh, in a way the beginning of the process or the focal point. Because when Morocco was established as a in its modern uh, its modern country in 1956, it uh, um, it had to make a choice what uh, what will be the this country about and what will be its identity and it chose to join the Arab League and to set the Arabic language as the only uh, official language in uh, of Morocco, but that created some of marginalization of the Amazir culture, which uh, by the way, the Amazir are the original inhabitants of North Africa and also Morocco. And they comprised around 50 to 60% of the Moroccan society. And are, they are not Arabs, they are other ethnic uh, group. So this in a long process, um, you know, uh, was on the Moroccan uh, agenda until um, until the new king, um, King Muhammad VI, uh, gained its reign in uh, 1999, and he decided um, uh, to to maybe give uh, more recognition to the Amazigh culture and language. He founded a place, a center called the uh, Irkam for the revival of the Amazigh uh, uh, culture and and uh, and languages. And it was a it, it is a royal institution. And then to integrate the Amazir language, which is 
called uh, Tamazirt. Actually, there are a few, a few languages, Tamazirt, Tarifit, Tashlichit, it's so diverse, uh, but to include it in the elementary schools. And eventually, in uh, July 2011, uh, there has been a new constitution uh, presented to the Moroccan public, and part of the amendments were to recognize the Tamazight language as an official language in Morocco on the side of, of the Arabic. Uh, and this is a huge message to, uh, to multiculturalism in Morocco. And they also, in this uh, constitution, included a recognition of all cultural components that Morocco is comprised of, like the the Carthage, the Carthags, um, uh, the Phoenicians, the African, uh, the Amazigh, of course, the Saru Hassanim, and the Hebraic uh, culture. They didn't say Jewish because still Morocco is a Muslim country, but it the only constitution in the world uh, outside of Israel that recognized. Hebraic culture is part of its national story. And what we've seen is the, um, uh, the, the, the national story of Morocco became bigger with time. Uh, so the, I think on the ground, there was always, always a tendency to openness and to tolerance, but it was lacking until uh, this uh, constitution, something official from the top. And this, this green light, this official recognition uh, started a new chapter in Morocco, which allowed the civil society to play uh, an important role in uh, actually taking this uh, new new direction, a new multiculturalism and creating real projects. For example, the Mimuna Association that preserved Jewish culture in Morocco is uh, is can be active also thanks to this uh, process. And also the textbooks and the integration of the the Jewish um, culture within a textbook, which is, by the way, is not a history book. It's a book for the, there are actually two books, one for the uh, first grade and one for the sixth grade. In the first grade, we can see a picture and a, a description of Morocco as a, as, a, as a bonfire. And around the bonfires, there is a tribe and tribe of kids and each kid, represent a different cultural component of Morocco. One is African, one is Jewish, one is Muslim Arab, one is Amazir, one is Saru Hassani, one is from Senegal. And this is one uh, image. Uh, the second book for the sixth grade actually integrates a unit about the city of Isawera of Morocco, which mm -hmm. is a symbol, a lighthouse of multiculturalism of all Morocco. Um, and it tells the story of the Jewish community there and the multiculturalism and Beit Zakia, which is a, a cultural center uh, that tells this kind of um, story. And I think they, um, Mor Morocco did not do it for the Jews of Morocco only. Like they did it first of all for the for themselves. It's the the definition of the we. The Jews in Morocco are not the other; they are part of the we. And this is an important difference from how we usually see it in recognizing minorities or the other. And this is a big, um, a big lesson. And one of the major reasons for that is to ensure the stability of Morocco, because they know that if you encourage moderation and multiculturalism, then the internal situation can be better just thanks to these uh, values. It starts with the values.
so in my opinion, this is a major uh, lesson to all our region and to Israel and uh, to other countries in the world that were not very successful in creating a national story that is inclusive enough for everyone who lives in it. Um, so maybe in other aspects, Morocco is not, you know, the, the most economic uh, developed country, but it is a success story in uh, in its national story. Um, so Einat, uh, first of all, thank you for that, because I definitely believe uh, as you do in the importance of inclusiveness and uh, accepting complexity, especially as an Arab citizen here in Israel and a Palestinian. Um, to be included with my own complex identity within the country that actually would get us closer to the country. And hopefully we can learn from Morocco. Uh, one last topic that, uh, you know, we are here in Israel with a very dramatic time in our life with all the judicial overhaul, and you're so far away, but uh, there's uh, dramatic things that are happening also in the Israeli-Moroccan relations lately. Uh, so last month, we had uh, the Israeli government uh, recognize the uh, Moroccan sovereignty over uh, the Sahara. What do people think about that in Morocco? Uh, what does the average citizen think about uh, this Israeli uh, uh, initiative and how is it perceived? Is it getting the relations closer? What are the perceptions there? Yeah, I think... Um... First of all, it was a matter of time, I believe, since uh, since the renewal of official ties, because this recognition was in uh, some way already implied in the declaration that was signed uh, between the, the sides, the US, Morocco, and Israel. Uh, it was definitely a Moroccan expectation. Uh, I can tell you from all the conversations I had here with many, many, many people, also decision makers and also the average uh, people uh, in the society. Um, even... Um, Last year, there was a famous uh, speech of King Muhammad VI, uh, who mentioned that Morocco evaluates its relation with other countries through the prism of the Saharan question. So, and it meant specifically friendly countries and new friendly countries that uh, has not yet um, have not yet uh, expressed their uh, opinion on on the subject. It was meant also for Israel and also for other countries. Uh, when I speak with the citizens of Morocco, with uh, my friends and uh, colleagues, um, I feel um, a very strong uh, support for the Israeli recognition. I think also thanks to a value which is very important in the Moroccan culture, which is solidarity. And when Moroccan get the support from outside, it's already in itself, it's a positive uh, positive action. And, um, and on the other end, uh, not on the other end, but in the same uh, kind of uh, way, I think the Sahara question in Morocco is, uh, is very crucial to any Moroccan citizen. You know, they did not have this, uh, the big independence war, to mark the, the move from uh, being under the colonization to being an independent country. So the Sahara question is in a way their sacred uh, national um, cause that is uniting them and uh, it's almost holy uh, in a way. So I think any support received from this, uh, from any country in this cause is perceived in a positive uh, way. But at the same time, we have also some criticism. 
criticism coming also from the boycott movements, but also from other citizens in Morocco that uh, that ask themselves, uh, okay, but this is a recognition from from Israel, which is a country that still has uh, occupation of the Palestinian people. So uh, is it really something that uh, Morocco needs? So this is also a question. Um, so as, as you can see, it's a, it's a bit complex, but uh, all in all, uh, the support is um, is the majority of the citizens of Morocco. So, Einat, uh, thank you very much for this explanation. And I remember that we uh, actually discussed uh, this issue uh, and the possibility that Israel will recognize uh, the uh, Moroccan sovereignty in uh, Sahara while we were at a rope summit in Belize uh, just recently. And uh, then it happened. Uh, and uh, I remember like, wow, you know, so I get already all of this background. Uh, by the way, you know, speaking of uh, our recent summit, uh, I wanted to ask you, uh, do you think that these multilateral formats that include Israelis, Palestinians, Moroccans, uh, Emiratis, and many other representatives from Arab countries are useful uh, to promote uh, the agreements that were concluded three years ago. Uh, so first of all, it was a great pleasure uh, to be with ROPS in uh, Tbilisi and to experience um, the the people, the forum, uh, the historic time, I think, that we live in. Uh, many things uh, have been happening in the region uh, officially. We hear about the Negev summit. We hear about all the bilateral agreements that have been signed between uh, Israel and other countries in the region. Um, and I think what is missing is the the civil society and the private sector that can bring real content and to fill those uh, frameworks and those agreements uh, with some uh, real concrete initiatives. Uh, and I think today we don't have almost any uh, regional forum that is focusing on these two great players of the civil society and the private sector, and also as uh, representatives from Israel, countries in the region, and Palestinians, that uh, this is, uh, I think, uh, one of the only uh, forums I've experienced in the last few years that can bring them together. And this is why it's uh, very important. Um, so we need to explore the possibilities together. Uh, we need to understand the, the barriers of each other, the challenges of each other. And uh, we can start from the from the bottom up in this, because I'm honestly, I'm not sure that all the answers, I know that all, not all the answers are uh, will, will be coming from uh, the top down. Uh, so... So this is uh, my message. I'm uh, a real believer in the civil society power to change things and to complete whatever is starting from, from the top down. has to meet something that starts from the bottom up. Absolutely. Enat, and we are actually aiming to do some of our programs next year in Morocco. And uh, we'll be happy in the future to discuss also uh, the uh, results uh, and uh, the programming uh, that uh, we will have uh, there uh, and the uh, success in the exactly what you meant, connecting people, civil society, uh, private sector, and increasing and leverage our agreements. Thank you so much, Einat. Uh, we can talk for hours about this topic, me, you, and Ksenia, I feel. 
But um, and we will continue to discuss this uh, all the time: the situation in Morocco, the region, and uh, it's really an honor to always uh, have you with us and uh, listen to your uh, perspective. And uh, we have someone to visit always in Morocco, Xenia. Yes, well, looking forward to this. Please come and thank you for having me and thank you for everything that you do to all the team of ROPS uh, for this uh, really important work that you are doing. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Shalom. Shalom, salam. You've been listening to the ROPS cast, the independent voice of the Middle East. Our guest today was Zainat Levy, an entrepreneur, a researcher, and a strategic consultant to public, private, and civic actors specializing in Morocco and its relationship with Israel. Uh, we hope you enjoyed our episode today. Our podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, and all uh, quality uh, podcast platforms. We are very grateful to our listeners from across the Middle East, Europe, the United States, and other parts of the world. You can support our work by small donation. More details on our website, ropes.org. We also invite you to follow us at ropes.org on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and LinkedIn, and threads, and to find out more about our work with emerging leaders from the Middle East. I'm Ibrahim Abu Ahmad. And I'm Ksenia Svetlova. Shalom. Salam. Salam.